Welcome back to This Is Jazz. Today, my name is Nick Finzer. I'm here with Alan Blanchard, and today we are talking about releases from March 2019. It is April, and we're looking back on the last month of releases. Alan, thanks for being here. Thanks for putting together another great playlist. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we are going to jump right into it. There's a lot of good stuff. We even added a bonus 11th track at the last minute because we couldn't inc not include this other album. So we will have actually 11 instead of our normal 10 today. So, uh, and again, these are not ranked in any kind of order They're, that is uh, based on their value. It is just an order that we kind of come up with on the fly based on Alan's preferences, I think. And things that'll make a nice like a nice little playlist and uh, and also who we want to feature at the top so if you want your tracks considered you might want to send them our way at info at outsideinmusic.com and we might just be able to feature your playlist alongside your playlist your track alongside some of the best stuff that we find each and every month so without further ado alan get us into the playlist what are we going to start with today um, well, the first track on this playlist is uh, the new Snarky Puppy release that came out uh, off the album Immigrants. Um, specifically, I picked the track uh, Bad Kids to the Back, um, which, I, you know, we were kind of listening to right before we started. And it certainly has, uh, you know, backbeat, like a, like a funkier type groove to it. Um, you had mentioned um, James Black. James Brown. James Brown. Wow. <laughs> wow. Very nice. It's, it's here we go. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because like, I'm still a fan of snarky puppy. You know, it certainly sounds like, uh, the same kind of project that you always imagine Michael league is going to do, um, the great basis that's, uh, with the band, but it's, it's kind of a little different, I think, than, uh, some of the stuff that they've put out, you know, with some of my favorite records being like their family dinner volumes, or um, that album they did with the uh, the orchestra in Europe, like uh, Sylvia, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I know, with the Metropole Orchestra. Yeah. I forget the name of the record, but yeah, I know that one. Um, so they say that, you know, I was reading a little bit about this record because uh, someone said something somewhere was, you know, before you say that you don't like something, look into, you know, what is it about so that you sound a, at least a little bit more informed. Um, and it's just... Uh, they, they say that it was a little bit more like worldly and influence, like really trying to bring together what they've got from being able to travel and everything and, and trying to bring in together all these different um, places and their strengths and ex experiences. And, and so that, that was kind of interesting once, you know, hearing that and going back through it, I was like, okay, you know, I, I could appreciate it on a different level. So I think some people will enjoy that. I think uh, overall, you know, it's still a, a quality record by all means. But I think that if someone's coming in, it, it, uh, don't necessarily expect the exact same sound that you normally would from Snarky Puppy. But it's it's certainly a phenomenal recording. Wait, so what what is it about it that is not usual to the Snarky Puppy sound? Um, I just thought it was, uh, you know, they. <laughs> now we're trying to find what I don't like about things. Great, um, you, you know, it just wasn't. It didn't. It didn't have as much of like a like an energy, like a high energy that I feel like Snarky usually always has in their in their pieces. Like I feel like they're oh, okay. always like like there's something real. There there's never a lull or anything. It's just always like very energetic. So much is going on that mm -hmm. it's uh, pulling you that way. And I thought that this was maybe. Um, 
more passive, which is might be a bad word. But hey, I mean, it's just different. Yeah, every band has to go through different ebbs and flows. So I, I can I can appreciate them if like if they did do something differently and wanting to take a chance and try something else. Yeah, of course. And, you know, like I said, it I was able to appreciate it more, though, once I understood that they were trying to really get into like that whole ethno music kind of vibe and really trying to incorporate um, other sounds. Got it. Got it. Um, well, that's cool. Well, speaking of someone that is really always trying to explore, I think that could not be more uh, definitive of, the, of this trumpet player, Christian Scott that is on the next track. And this is the one that I made Alan add right before. Yeah. And <laughs> let me clarify. He made me add in the sense that I said, Nick, I wasn't able to add this one. Um, as we are talking about Christian Scott's new album with uh, ancestral recall, um, which if I thought snarky puppy was bringing in some new influences, <laughs> this one has completely uh, changed it. And it's very, um, like a lot of stuff that he does is what he kind of calls like this new folkloric tradition um, where he's constantly lurk like stuff that's maybe seems like very cyclical or, or, or tribal or like African drumming is used a lot throughout this. Um, and it's kind of interesting because it's uh, I, I think his playing where, you know, he certainly plays lines and whatnot, but he kind of gets more into that feeling of like playing gestures um, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting to be able to, you know, as a musician myself or an aspiring one sitting back and not thinking about that and just trying to like not think of the trumpet in front of the band or the trumpet soloing in front of the band or, or away from the rest of the band, but kind of like how the entire ebb and flow of the music is going. And you hear it more as like almost like how a rhythm section, like a pianist would influence the direction of it is kind of the same type of direction that he's doing a lot with his trumpet. And uh, Mm -hmm. the record is very unique. Um, He features quite a few guest artists on on different tracks and whatnot. So, but it's also, I think, you know, it's very iconic to his whole theme of like stretch music and whatnot. Um, But it's a very like, um, not through composed, but uh, a thematic type approach to an album and whatnot. Yeah, to me, it's kind of coming out of the, you know, the later Miles Davis kind of stuff where it's very, like you said, gestural and the trumpet yeah. is part of, you know, it's his band, but it's like it's a band and they're playing music together. You know? Yeah. It's a tough yeah. thing. I, I, there's a tough thing with the getting out of that mindset of just like soloist with the band, you know, as like as jazz musicians. Uh, there's like a, a barrier there for a lot of students trying to get past that idea that there's like, oh, it's this person's solo and it's this person's solo, or it's like a band and we're trying to make music. So I don't well, know. I, I can really appreciate it. Cause like, like that almost, um, you know, like you make the reference to miles, but then like, I also take into consideration, like he's from new Orleans and like yeah. that concept of like brass bands in new Orleans. And then the concept of like, collective improvisation that you hear in like really early uh jazz and new orleans music you know like thinking back to like king oliver and and lewis and almost like how we were accustomed to it then with how the entire band moved in and out of each other 
and then when you know Lewis starts stepping in front of the band and we start separating the band and the soloist, and then Miles kind of brings it back and then it goes back, you know, yada yada yada. But uh, it, it kind of you know goes back to that type of style that you're talking about too. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's all just music. I wish we could all just get on that vibe and just play play what you're hearing. That's I mean, that's just like great to hear somebody that's play, hearing something else. You know, right. For me, I'm like, oh yeah, he's hearing something. I don't know how he hears that, but I, I want to hear something like that too. Right. Anyway, not to just get stuck here. Let's keep on rolling along. I see we have Joey DeFrancesco, great organist. Right. And, and trumpet player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, not fair, man. Um, have you listened well, to this record at all? I don't think I've seen this one yet. Okay, so Joey DeFrancesco put together this new record called In the Key of the Universe. And the big surprise about it that um, I don't know if you know, but that I didn't expect at first is it features Pharaoh Sanders. Oh, Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so DeFrancesco is often heard um, with having this kind of philosophy of like, I just like to swing. Uh, Uh And if you've ever heard him play, you know, obviously like Bob straight ahead, like he kills that stuff, you know. And so this album, though, brings back in Pharaoh Sanders um, and it kind of gets back into like those uh those free jazz years that Pharaoh was really doing where he was like kind of embodying that sound of like a later Coltrane and what he was trying to do. Uh-huh. And it's really cool because also um you know when you're just talking about Miles like uh Joey DeFrancesco plays trumpet on some of the tracks obviously but when he does he he almost sounds like Miles and has like the same um approach you know longer notes and overall gestures and colors rather than lines. And so the tune I picked, yeah. uh, the creator has a master plan is, uh, you know, a very well-known, um, Pharaoh Sanders song, maybe one of the ones that he's most well-known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts off with the idea of like, uh, again, like a soundscape created behind him a little bit that he's just playing over very freely. And then, uh, after he opens it up like that, they kind of get more into a, uh, a structure or, or a form necessarily of a set tune and then it goes on but it was really cool to hear um especially with like you know even better recording quality now um and whatnot hearing pharaoh sanders playing again um and then along with joey T- francesco great organist you know great trumpet player throughout it so that's really cool especially um you know always always fun like when we had the woody shaw record come out or the john coltrane record come out um, you know, hearing these great legends or giants or whatever you want to call them come out with, with a new thing and, and seeing how they interpret stuff now. Yeah. It's always cool to, that we can, he see these collaborations, right? It's, it's interesting because there's this, you know, he's playing with Pharaoh, but like the last time I saw, it's not totally true. I saw him in Monterey in the fall, but before that, I like saw him at Dizzy's with Frank West. You know, mm. so just like another legend, but just like totally different, you know? Right, right. Totally straight, straight ahead. T- totally killing. Well, and it's but interesting because he picked up the trumpet after he was, uh, after playing with Miles. So it's kind of cool to see like him um, almost like not following in or copying, but like mirroring, you know, or paralleling maybe the changes that, uh, that Miles and members of his band were doing after, as they, as they grew and whatnot. Yeah, I think everyone, you know, all the band leaders, you know, everybody gets a little sick of whatever they're doing after a while and needs to explore something else, right. play it another way, you know. 
I think that's, I mean, his last couple projects, he was doing kind of like a funky kind of thing. The last record with Troy Roberts and all them. Right. And then, and something else. Speaking of Troy Roberts, that's a tenor player. The next record. <laughs> well, Troy Roberts is also on that record too. I was Troy on that yeah, too? Troy's on uh, the Joey Francesco record as well. Playing like oh, soprano, yeah. alto, Good. tenor, <laughs> you know, everything. Oh man. Cool. I have to check that one out. That one slipped by me. Yeah. I didn't check that one out. But we're going to move to uh, Seamus Blake, another another great tenor player. Man, great tenor player. But he moved to Paris. I forget exactly when, sometime in the last couple of years. And so I see here uh, he's got an all-Parisian band on this record. Yeah, and so um, I, I think I've kind of, you know, I've always been checking out Seamus some, um, but I kind of followed him a little bit more after he came here and did a master class uh, last semester, I guess. And so this is his new release that he came out with, um, Guardians of the Heart Machine, uh, like you are saying, features an all-French um, band. And he kind of talks about that for him, this music, you know, he was born in London, but he was raised in Vancouver. Um, and like, mm-hmm. so he, he identifies with, you know, being Canadian and whatnot. Um, and he really talked about for him, the way that he looked at this stuff was like, he wanted to write and arrange um, specifically for this type of a band. And, and like the fact that they were European musicians and he wanted to blend uh, and bridge together these ideas and elements of what he thought was European and American styles. Um, so hmm. I think that was really interesting. And you can kind of hear it, I think, when you go through. Um, it's it's still straight ahead-ish. Um, <laughs> and it still sounds like something that I think that you would hear in New York and whatnot. But there are some little different elements that he talks about that uh he picked up you know like a little incorporating a little bit more of like european classical harmony throughout it and uh okay something that he like he in some uh interviews he did he keeps referring to as like a european sensibility so being aware of kind of like what they were checking out and the way that they would approach playing the music and whatnot so i think people will really enjoy it uh the track i picked was a blues for the real human beings um but you know Honestly, it's it's all really good. I just picked this one mostly because I feel like it um, it was a chance for me to be able to relate the most to it, in the sense that like if you break it down the most, it's it's essentially a blues, you know. Um, so it's able for you to see, or at least me to see, like the connections at first, and then expand upon that, checking out the rest of the other tunes. So when was the first time you encountered Seamus? Do you remember? Like in person or on a recording? No, on a recording. Sorry. Oh, um, probably like two thousand, like that. Uh, uh, maybe like Superconductor. Okay, so might have been the first time. So like pretty late, but you know, like maybe a year or two into college and whatnot. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I mean, I first heard Seamus on Wycliffe's records on. Uh, what was that? Crisscross or no Nagelhire? Well, there was, he's on a bunch of Wycliffe's records and I always was, I mean, he's great, but I'm just looking back like, man, he really can play so many different styles and fit into different situations. I mean, yeah. And I mean, for me, it was them. mostly like, you know, I hung out with two tenor saxophone players that went to my school. So uh, and they showed it to you. Yeah. I would just like walk up and they'd be like, listen to Chris Potter play this. Or I'd be like, okay, you know, cool. And I, like, I was just really, getting into jazz. So like now it's kind of funny that like 
I'll, you know, send them a record and they're like, Alan, we were showing you this three and a half years ago. And I'm like, okay, well, sorry. I need a lot of delay. Yeah. Just a little slow, but not when this next guy puts out records, you are on Winton, like something <laughs> always, you always are knowing what's happening there, man. I, so <laughs> let's, why don't you talk, talk us through this next track. I know there's, it's from a movie and there's a whole thing and Alfonso. And so go ahead. Yeah. So the next track is off of this, uh, movie or i guess i guess we can call it a biopic right is it i, mean, I guess so i, I guess I, so well so like there's been that whole um resurgent i don't know if resurgence is the right word but like lately i feel like they've been making tons of jazz biopics you know you had the chet baker one the miles one um we had like the documentary they're all trumpet players man come on <laughs> the documentary on lee morgan the documentary on train and all this and what's coming out next is the film on buddy bolden who, you know, famous trumpet player from New Orleans, yada, yada, the father of jazz trumpet, the father of jazz, whatever illustrious name we want to give him. And all of the music, and I'm sure a, a key figure in like advisement and, and production of this is Went Marcellus. And so recently what they did is they're hyping up the movie and whatnot is they released um, Timelessness, which is one of the tracks from the original soundtrack. Um, and it features, you know, everyone from his band that you would expect to be in it, like Wyclef's on it, Victor Goins is in it, um, Marcus Prinup's in it. And I think it's really, um, cool because like, that's always kind of been his thing or at least in his, you know, later years and whatnot, like jazz at Lincoln center has always focused on like Ellington music a lot. Um, and he's always been really big on, putting together these bands that are playing like the music of Jelly Roll Morton or whatnot, as you can see him playing, you know, Tomcat blues and, and all this different stuff, dead man blues. And he's been really true to that. So it's great to hear their interpretation of this style of music. Um, and then what Nick was mentioning was actually there's a f- mutual friend of ours that came to Florida state uh, and is now living up in New York. The great trumpet player, Alfonso Horn um, is actually in the movie. Uh, we found in a, a trailer where it looks like he he comes into a session or a gig or something in the trailer that Buddy Bolton's playing on and tries to cut him, and that just doesn't happen. <laughs> he ends up getting cut by uh, Buddy Bolton, who I'm pretty sure all of his stuff is played by Wenton. Like, that is who's done all the, uh, the trumpet playing for that character in the movie. So, but it's, you know, obviously if you have someone like Wenton or, or their band backing this movie, like, the music is going to be a, a big part of it. And it's, it's quality by all means, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I didn't see any of those biopics, so I'm going to have to see them all at some point. I Maybe haven't seen the miles or the chat, but the Lee Morgan and, and John Coltrane one were like really good. Yeah. I've heard they're good. I just always, I don't know. I never, I never watch movies except on an airplane. And then on the airplane, they don't have those movies. Right. I mean, the Lee Morgan one was like, they were both really sad. Don't get me wrong. It was kind of funny in the John Coltrane one that it was like, you know, it'd bring up like all these great saxophone players to talk about him. And then like every three was like Bill Clinton. <laughs> Be like, oh, like John Coltrane. And we're like, no, okay, this come not, on. <laughs> this is not how this works. Yeah. I guess that's how, that's how you broaden the audience. You shouldn't shouldn't uh give him crap yeah and like like a lot of people have said that you know he was like yeah i know he did the whole tenor bit on like a late show one night but like he actually was a musician was very about it and he 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 speaks in a very educated manner in the documentary so 
Yeah, he knows how to play the saxophone. Yeah. Okay, moving on. So the next one, I think this, at least from the personnel, seems like a Nashville project. So, um, or at least Nashville-based. I don't know if, whose record it is. Uh, I think is it's it actually Lehman's David record? Lehman's record. It is his record? Yeah. Go to, yeah. It is under his name, that's for sure. On the Corner Live, the music of Miles Davis. But uh, anyway, I pl actually played with this drummer on here last time I played in Nashville. Oh, really? Uh, Chester Thompson is his name. Yeah, those videos that I, pu I put up uh, from the Nashville Jazz Workshop have Chester in them. So there's your plug. Go to my YouTube channel. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, why don't you talk us through this record, this Dave Liebman record? Um, sure, I will. Now, I just want to clarify one thing with you before I make it clear myself. <laughs> why does Dave Liebman and David Liebman have two different Spotify's? Oh, wait a minute. Are we about to get tricked? Is this a different person? Is there a different Liebman other than Dave Liebman? I don't I don't think so. Like, I don't know. like I'm see. like 98% sure it's the same person. Oh, well, there's only one thing that comes up under David Liebman. So maybe it's... Maybe it's a distributor, man. <laughs> yeah, we've had some issues with uh, crossing over of... Um, Accounts. Well, Dave Liebman is here. I think it's just an error in Spotify. Okay. I think that, well, we can move on. Yeah. Okay. It's cool. Just a Spotify I, error. I just it's want to Dave make sure Liebman, before I start making bold claims. No. Okay. So Dave Liebman. Um, continue. So Dave Liebman put out this new record um, with like what you're talking about as a super band and whatnot of On the Corner Live, the music of Miles Davis. And man, this was really cool for me because I just got done. Um, writing my comprehensive exams and this was like one of the records that i ended up talking about in it um which i hadn't previously explored um and so it was really cool that he just now put out this project and like it sounds so much like what miles was trying to do with a different personnel um and it's it's very it makes a lot of sense that they were doing that because dave liebman was on the original on the corner yeah um and i think it's cool that like they kept a lot of things similar. For example, on the original one, like there are two saxophone players, uh, Dave Liebman and Carlos Garnett or Garnett. And on this one, it's Dave Liebman and Jeff Coffin. And so that along with Victor Wooten and Chester Thompson, like you were saying, and tons of other musicians, like they do a very um, good representation of what like that Miles Electric band was uh, really starting to sound like. And so you were right on the money with the fact that it was recorded in Nashville because it was actually a record that was recorded live and uh, at a Nashville venue, 3rd and Lindsay, um, and where they revisited this uh, electric period, you know, since Lehman had been playing with him since like, I think his first gig with Miles was in like 73 or 74 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, I think it was really cool because I'm, it's also at a spot where I think, um, you might see like a resurgence of interest in this type of music. Um, because it was really popular. Like a lot of people talk about that miles had the support a lot because it was just miles, you know, and he was like one of those big figures that everyone was going to follow whatever he did to at least a degree, you know, he always lost some people and split off when he got more and more like electric and, and away from jazz. Um, but I think this is, this kind of goes along with stuff that 
a lot of people my age are checking out, you know, if uh, certainly not the same, but, you know, maybe like in that same vein of like some of Kamashi Washington's like larger and, 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 and longer projects. Um, so basically what you're saying is that people your age don't listen to things that swing. Is that what no, you're trying to say? They, they definitely do not. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is something I'm going to have to accept and figure out. Um, well, yeah, I don't know how to solve that. Maybe that's a topic for another day. But it, let's, so anyway. But it's supposedly, no, I mean, you got, it was like, from what they talk about in all the writing is like, this record was an incredible experience. Like they made all the puns saying that the club sold out and there was a line on the corner stretching around the building, you know. Um, yeah. But supposedly it was like ridiculous and they were very glad that they were able to record it. Um you know, and it has some cuts from Live Evil and In a Silent Way. So it's not just the record on the corner, but it does encompass that that Miles Davis electric band sound that he was really trying to do, um, where Liebman, you know, as rightfully so, credits him with stuff, you know, influencing and changing the direction of, like, pop and jazz music of the time. Totally. So kind of making a left turn here. Uh, Catherine Russell, great singer. Yeah, I would say uh, Catherine Russell is not putting out a record that mimics the electric band of Miles Davis. <laughs> yeah, um, something else. Yeah, this was a very interesting record because, like, when you look at the personnel, like, it has, uh, it has like a music director and whatnot too. You know, so like they're very um, arranged out compositions. Like there is a on the credits they list an arranger for every track. Um, and it, I picked her track alone together. It's a, it's a beautiful standard, one of my favorite standards. Um, and it was interesting cause she just came through Tallahassee as well. Um, or Thomasville technically, I guess. But anyways, she was down here. Um, it's great. It was a lot of musicians on the record that I actually didn't recognize. Um, but we found that that's not necessarily a weird thing. That's just me. So um, <laughs> like, do you know, John Alred? John Allred? How do you know right, John here Allred? We go. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> I knew Tal Ronan, who was the bass player on the record. Okay. Yeah. But there's also uh, like the drummer is, uh, or drums on some of the track is Mark McLean. Uh, Mark Shane's playing piano. Uh, John Eric Kelso's on trumpet. Didn't know him. Um, who else? Evan Artson. It's playing tenor on him. Mm, I don't know him. But John, John is a great trumpet player, man. He's like, he plays with Lincoln Center sometimes. He's used to, um, We're talking about used to play trombone with players right? on that show. John Allred's a trombone player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, didn't know him at all. They're they're in the like early jazz scene in New York. Like John Eric Kelso runs a session at this place called the Ear Inn. And uh, they do like early stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, swing and a miss there for me. But yeah. without a doubt, it's okay. a phenomenal record. You're learning something. Yeah. You're learning I'm, something. I mean, I'm learning something every day. Something new, okay? Um, <laughs> great. So we'll check out people. Check that out. Definitely check it together. out. Would recommend. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's swinging and, yeah. and great. Um, man, but I did listen to this. I like this new Josh Redmond Quartet record. Yeah. And uh, 
they were when I played when we did that double bill with Anat's band and jo- and his band in Chicago a couple months ago. They were playing this music, and I was like, "Oh, was it the same band too?" This record. Uh, yeah, Hutch, Goldberg, and come on, come on, oh, who's playing? Come bass? on, oh no, come on, <laughs> Ruben Rogers, man, Ruben Rogers. Oh crap, oh, man, <laughs> too slow. Yeah, Ruben was there. So, yep, yeah. Anyway, so share away. Uh, I, I don't look. There's really not much to say here. I'm a huge fan of Joshua Redman. I think he's an incredible tenor saxophone player. Um, while we are talking about when I was first introduced to tenor sax players, I think the first thing that my again two friends who I don't uh, attribute enough <laughs> with introduced me to people um, was that recording of him playing Saint Thomas off the Live of the Village Vanguard record. Sure, um, sure. And since then, I've been sold on, you know, checking out his Elastic Band and everything. Um, and finally, he's come back with a new uh, quartet record, um, which is their first release since like 2001. So it's certainly been a minute. Um, They've been touring constantly since yeah. then, though. So that's incredible. Um, and supposedly, like, he's been touring with uh, with Ruben Rogers and, and uh, like, this whole band for, like, 20 years. They've been getting up and doing gigs. Yep. Which, you know, yep. that's awesome in my mind because, man, how often do you really get to do that, you know? Yeah, there's not a lot of bands that are bands, you know? Yeah, unless you're like Lincoln Center where, where people are just in it forever. But even when you're looking at like Winton Septeb and whatnot, they weren't necessarily doing 20 years of the same band. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep people together, number one. And uh, people have to prioritize it and like make it commit to making it and like you know i don't know there's a lot of factors involved other than just like having gigs but there's like a lot of a lot of it's really difficult these days to keep something alive because people are busy you know right and i think it's um it's really interesting because there were a lot of reviews that were really comparing redmond with two of the other great tenor saxophone players that are right now you know brand from ourselves and chris potter um and so they say that like obviously they're similar because they've released quartet albums. And I was like, okay, obvious point. Thanks. And then the fact that, uh, they both are like, they're all great at playing the saxophone. And I was like, this is a very valid point. Thanks guys. Um, but you know, where they're different is, you know, they, uh, people attribute brain and Mar- brain from ourselves with maybe like more romanticism in his playing <laughs> for some reason. And then talk about how Chris mm-hmm. Potter's really getting into like that hard fusion. Um, and True. I kind of find Josh Redman to be a little bit more like in the middle of them too. Um, especially with, he so. has experience with like, or, or experimented with that hard fusion with like his elastic band and whatnot. But man, on this record is so good. The track I picked circle of life, uh, is a waltz that they start off with and it opens up with like piano and bass in unison. And it just goes, I mean incredible all the way throughout like the interplay between aaron goldberg and josh redman is incredible the band as a whole whole like you know like we were saying when you've been playing together for so long like you know what someone likes but you also know what they don't like and you also know how to push them into certain areas and whatnot and so it's a great example of you know if we're, if we're going to relate everything back to miles back to like that second great quintet vibe that they had where it was like maybe that time without changes um vibe and like they're just able like they have a, i think a little bit more strict um 
movement as far as like how the harmony is moving and when the harmony is moving, but just mm-hmm. how quickly and uh, they're they're able to change and how sensitive they are to each other's playing is uh, a good reason to listen to it alone if it wasn't for, you know, the playing of Joshua Redman. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they played that tune, this tune, Circle of Life, that night. And I was like, what? Because there's a lot of like difficult stuff in there. <laughs> but they made it sound so easy. What a, what a great great way to sell a record <laughs> one line i was like what that's difficult <laughs> well you know you can appreciate it on multiple levels as a you know the musician nerdy part and then the, just the music part right all right oh man so going straight from one great tenor player to another so another track i'm assuming this is from the same record the new yeah. Record. yeah 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 uh the new brand for record uh the secret between the shadow and the soul um what an interesting title is uh again with a quartet that is also have some members that have been known to play with Branford for a while uh Joey Calderazzo and Eric Revis who I think they're getting upwards mm-hmm. on like 20 years of working with Branford in some way or another um and then the new guy in the band quote unquote who's still been there for a while would be Justin Faulkner um mm-hmm. and I mean I don't know this has been like a very um one of my favorite records that's come out recently, we were even hyping it up. I think in the last time that we did this where, where we were right. like, Hey, we're so excited. Like technically we, we recorded on March one and like, here we go. The brain from Marcellus quartet records out. Yeah, that's right. It was already out. That's, I was going to say, cause I listened to this before. Yeah. And so it's been really interesting because they've done like a lot of press for it and whatnot. And, uh, Marcellus talks about the fact that like, he this record's kind of been shaped by the fact of um when he was working with Kurt Elling and whatnot when they were touring a lot because it took him back to um not saying that they're the same but how it was to like working with Sting in the sense that it takes him uh like it made him really start to focus on melodies and melodic content and like what he was really saying because just like playing with Sting or and it wasn't uh, when I saw them play, it wasn't as strict as this, but you know, he goes on saying that like sing would sometimes say you have 45 seconds, <laughs> like play, but you yeah. have 45 seconds. Um, and crazy. I think you can kind of hear that in like the sense that there's not like, again, there it's still a quartet record. So they are able to like stretch some and, and really play, but he's very um, like less gestural, more melodic with what he's doing. And so that's kind of been nice to go back and listen to. Um, and it's been really cool because also like I've just been happening to listen to a lot of his playing recently um, and seeing his growth and how he's changed, you know, with, with uh, how he sounds a lot like Sonny Rollins in a lot of way and, and a lot of influences from, you know, train and Wayne shorter and Ben Webster, like all great tenor saxophone players. But I think that if you're a fan of like straight ahead jazz and whatnot, or even, a very small um, small way a fan of that album that they put out the upward spiral like you'll enjoy this because they really talk about and emphasize how much like playing in that format with Kurt Elling like changed the band as a whole and like really got them tighter and uh, helped mold this album that they do release then in uh, earlier this month nice well it sounds tight I mean I've and they've been influencing a lot of people to start playing um, that uh, tune, the last track on this record, uh, Wind Up, the Wind Up. Yeah. That, uh, 
that old old it's not that old of a tune but keith Jarrett, you know that really old tune it's really old almost as old as betty carter and no, i was oh. <laughs> trying to make a nice all right man here. let's uh, uh so, okay number two on our list for this week and uh that's betty carter okay Tell us more about this. It must be a re-release or something. Yeah, so I don't think it's a re-release. I think it's like previously unreleased. Um, oh, okay. Stuff. Uh, I've been trying to find exactly where like they've come from, but you know, with some of this stuff, like it's kind of hard to be able to find that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just a a compilation in some manner of like a recording session that they had done that was like never released, or some of the tracks that were released, and then these were what's left um but anyways it goes back this is kind of interesting because like we've always talked about like you know there's no jazz messengers anymore um but people sometimes overlook you know certainly not intentionally but like the university of betty carter um and all the they had hers so it's really cool they have there's like a large variety of stuff you know there's arrangements on here um by Bobby Watson, like originals by Betty Carter, you know, some standards with like Richard Rogers and Lauren's Hart or Lorenz Hart, excuse me. Um, and there's uh, a combination of stuff from small group to big band, which is cool because she plays like with Cyrus Chestnut on here and Greg Hutch and Ariel Roland. But the band, like it, it covers a huge vast of stuff. So like when you got the trios, like, the bands could be made up from Cyrus Chestnut, Ariel Rowland, like I said, Clarence Penn, John Hicks, Leslie Atkinson, and Kenny Washington. But then when you get the big band, you know, you get some people that are in there, like Joe Temperley's playing on some of the tracks. Robin Eubanks is on some of it. Um, Lou Soloff, Earl Gardner. Um, again, Kenny Washington on drums. Like there's some that have strings on it. And it really is just a huge, um, like a, a great way to go back and see like a variety of her playing and or in singing sorry um and and like the the kind of concepts that she was putting out and whatnot and being someone where like i say you know we overlook um this is again it's like an album that was first released composed entirely of previously unheard material that spans over supposedly 22 years um and it's you know i i like i will be honest you know i don't necessarily just go out and like listen to Betty Carter and it's not like the first thing that's put on, but then when you go and you listen to Betty Carter and this stuff, you hear all these people that she's influenced, you know, and how her writing has carried on into their players or her, like just being a part of her band, exposed them to other people in some way that then did it, you know? And that's the reason that we uh, attribute so much to her, like with that along came Betty um, competition in the, in the Institute and, and all that because it was so important for her to get these younger musicians. And then it's called jazz ahead. Oh, Betty Carter's jazz ahead. Not along came oh Betty. yeah. <laughs> Not along came Betty, the standard. <laughs> yeah. It's All okay. Right. Oh, gosh. We'll give you, we'll cut you a break yeah. here. Oh. Cut you a break. It's a busy time of year for yeah, you. Sure. You drove all the way to Savannah this weekend. You've been a busy That's guy. true. That's true. But yeah, the jazz ahead. You know what I found out? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I'm just digressing all over the place here, but I've come to find out Quincy Davis, who's teaching here at UNT as well, drums, he just played at Savannah last night and flew back this morning. Oh, wow. So I was like, I was impressed. Man, more people anyway, hustling um, like you. People are hustling, man. 
So uh, we're running a little bit short on time. So let's jump to this last track here and uh, tell everyone about this project. Because we, I know we both love this drummer, uh, Ulysses Owens. Yeah, Ulysses Owens Jr. Um, and his new project, Songs of Freedom. Now, I would very much encourage everybody, if you're interested in this, I'm going to do my best I can to describe it. But he actually has a really good video on his website from when he first uh, presented this at uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center, um, where he, like at the concert, he like, you know, stands up and explains what this entire premise was behind and the entire um, idea behind this record and like what inspired him to, to cover this music. So if you're really interested and you start finding out that you like the record, go check out that video um, and he'll introduce it and explain it all. But basically, um, my generic understanding was like he got asked to do this concert um, talking about like female vocalists and someone was like, yeah, from 1950 and on. And he was like, okay, wait, hold on. That's like a lot of music. And so he's like, well, what if I just did the 1960s? And what he did was he focused on three artists that he thought were very prolific during the 1960s, Joni Mitchell, Abby Lincoln, and Nina Simone. Um, and the way that each of them expressed uh, their interpretation of freedom in different ways. Um, and a, a quote that he puts out is he says, you know, Joni composed and sung about the freedom of love, whereas Abby expressed freedom of her individuality and race through her lyricism. And then Nina Simone demanded uh, freedom politically through song. And so the song I chose, um, I wouldn't necessarily attribute it with like feeling like jazz. Honestly, it feels like a lot of like pumps, uh, pop songs that we have nowadays, or like, um, like the break sections of like some country songs of some days, but it's be my husband. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> hang on a second. What, are, what is that? What is this? Your deep knowledge of country? I mean, man, music? I'm from Tennessee. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. This is, I'm going to have to, okay. I'm writing this down to circle back to. <laughs> Man, I'll, I will catch you with some of that music. But um, Be My Husband, it's a phenomenal song. Um, it's a phenomenal record that's actually been out, I think, for a while, uh, but overseas. Um, oh, okay. I think because he released it with the Resilience Music Alliance. Um, but this is a project that they've done and they've it's kind of been out there and whatnot. And they just now are releasing the record of it. Um but yeah, it's it's a really good record, and they cover a very versatile thing with uh, three great uh, vocalists of uh, Thea Blackman, uh, Renee Marie, and Alicia. Alicia, thank Altuja. you so much. Um, because if not, I was going to slaughter that. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. It's a great album, thirteen tracks, but it goes through very quickly, and it's really easy to really easy listen. I think people enjoy it a lot. Nice. I got to check that out more too. I, I wanted to go to those concerts and I wasn't able it's to. Because you were just so there, busy, so. like in Savannah, man, or something. Oh my gosh. You're right. You're right. Anyway, this isn't about me, Alan. This is right. About, not about you. Just about plug in your YouTube channel earlier. Yeah, you know. You know how it goes. <laughs> Subscribe. Click the button. Click the bell. Hear that ding. <laughs> Hear that ding. Amazing. Well, uh, that's it. We've made it to the top of our list. Go to the, our uh, Outside in Music Spotify channel uh, and our Spotify channel. It's actually the account. You can find our playlist. Just type in This Is Jazz Today and it'll pop right up. And uh, 
it's for 2019. If you want to go back to 2018, there's a whole year's worth of all the new releases from there, featuring many, many great artists. And we're excited to keep on rolling with this. So if you enjoy it, click and uh, subscribe to the playlist there on Spotify. If you don't use Spotify and you want to check it out, you can see all the tracks that are there on our website for, for the podcast. So you can see that there. So, uh, Alan, thanks again for being here and for putting together the list. And I look forward to checking out April's in a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah, yeah.